0: Well, I have this radical notion that if one of my neighbors is sick or living in pain, we ought to provide them health care. The National Academy of Sciences says about 22,000 Americans die every year of treatable diseases because they can't afford a doctor. No other country lets that happen.
1: I like to think of it as um, the world's largest price-fixing scheme. From the offices of Civic Ventures in downtown Seattle, this is Pitchfork Economics with Nick Hanauer, an honest
0: conversation about how to make capitalism work for everyone.
1: I'm Nick Hanauer, founder of Civic Ventures.
2: I'm Stephanie Irvin. I run a lot of our advocacy and campaign work here at Civic Ventures. So Nick, this is super exciting. We have so much great territory to cover with healthcare that we're going to do two episodes on it.
1: Yeah, well, health that's because healthcare in America is such an ungodly mess, so there's a lot to say.
2: <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, and can you set up like, why it's so important that we're talking on an economics podcast about the issue of healthcare?
1: Well, because if you care about... Um, how ordinary people are doing in their lives economically you can't ignore one of the biggest costs that um necessary costs unavoidable costs that people face in their lives and in the united states of america that is healthcare. yeah uh obviously in in the rest of the industrialized world that is much 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 less of a concern for folks because they have systems that uh, both um are much much more efficient they just deliver a lot better a lot more healthcare to a lot more people for a lot less money, but also the, the plans usually don't rely on individuals to take care of, they're, they're taken care of by the state. But obviously the United States is the outlier on that. And so for most folks, healthcare is a huge pressing economic concern.
2: Right. And in the U.S., 700,000 people annually Declare bankruptcy for healthcare-related right. expenses. Yeah, in all of the other countries, many of the countries we're going to talk with TR read about in their models: Germany, France, yeah. Britain, Netherlands, Canada, Switzerland. zero. Zero, zero, zero. people are <laughs> yeah. filing bankruptcy because of their healthcare expenses. Yeah, so it's a huge problem. Yeah,
1: and l- later in the episode, I want to tell the story of my recent healthcare experience in merry old England, where I was with my family.
2: Yeah, but let's talk to TR.
1: Cool. We will find out if he likes to be called TR or not, <laughs> which is another thing altogether. But um, in, in an earlier part of my life, I actually financed uh, a healthcare company called qliance that I was absolutely convinced would help um, solve the healthcare crisis in America and did a ton of research on healthcare reform and global healthcare models. And TR's book, The Healing of America, A Global Quest for Better, Cheaper, and Fairer Healthcare was, uh, I think, among the best books I read. It's a very simple format. He just went around the world looking at other healthcare systems and comparing them to ours, Uh, and it, it was just so informative and made it so clear why our current system is a disaster and how many good alternatives there are to it. Hey, it's Nick Hanauer. Yeah. So do we, hi, ca- Nick. Do, hi. do we call you T.R. or Tom? or what? what how do you like Yeah, me?
0: T.R. T.R. Reed, that's the name on the book. So you, my name is Tom, but you better use T.R. Okay.
1: <coughs> well, listen, thank you for joining us. Um, I've been sure. a longtime fan of your writing, and I am joined Good. by my colleague, Stephanie Irvin. Say hi, hi T.R.
0: Hi, Stephanie.
1: Hi. Yeah, and we wanted to talk to you about... The debacle, which is the American healthcare system.
0: Fine. Yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah. And I realize, uh, so you wrote this amazing book, uh, The Healing of America, a global quest for better, cheaper, and fairer healthcare, uh, that posed this in- very simple question, which is what do other people do? And why does it appear to work so much better than our- us? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, the the interesting thing is that it seems like it's gotten worse since you published the book in about 2010.
0: Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, when Obamacare took effect, that was January 1st of 2014, um, it did expand uh, insurance coverage. Probably 20, 21 million Americans who didn't have coverage before got that from Obamacare. And that number has now been dropping. Today, we're at about uh, thirty-two, or about thirty-two million Americans with no health insurance. That's worse than it was two years ago. Prices are higher, deductibles are higher. There's really nothing better. In the last two or three years, things have gotten worse for Americans in terms of healthcare.
1: Yeah, I was just uh, looking at the latest numbers. Uh, two thousand seventeen. Uh, we spent ten thousand two hundred dollars per citizen on healthcare in America, versus the comparable country average of five thousand three hundred. But you know, Canada is four thousand eight hundred or something like that. It's just the numbers are just astonishing. Uh, you know that we spend easily twice as much per citizen for a system that covers fewer people with less efficacy.
0: Yes, that's right. The other countries cover everybody. They have better results, longer life expectancy, better recovery rates from disease and injury and spend on average half as much, you know, and I say, hey, come on, let's we're a decent people. Let's create a system that will cover everybody at reasonable price. And people say, well, it's un-American, you want socialism. No. What's un-American is to pay twice as much as France and get less. That's un-American, yeah. <laughs> I think.
2: Exactly.
1: <laughs> the beauty of your book was the way in which you very sort of simply took people through the alternative systems. And would you mind kind of taking us through that? Like what, what, what are the alternatives to the American system?
0: Yeah, so if you look at countries like us, I mean, advanced, high-tech, free-market democracies, these are basically the members of the Organization for Economic uh, Cooperation and Development, the OECD. That's kind of the UN for rich countries. There are 35 of them. Um, All of the other advanced democracies provide health care for everybody. All of them have better health outcomes, better recovery rates than the U.S., And on average, they spend half as much. The key point I think is that they all made the commitment to cover everybody. And if you do that, if you have a system, a coherent system that covers everybody, it will always be more effective and it will always be cheaper than this crazy quilt fragmented system we have. So they all made that commitment, cover everybody. They agree on that destination but they all found different routes to get there. In my book, there are four models of healthcare. So one, it was kind of developed in Great Britain. Um, in this model, taking care of people's health is government's job, you know, like running the library, picking up the trash, putting out fires, paving the streets. Um, if you're sick or have need healthcare in Britain, uh, you go to a government-owned hospital, The doctors, the nurses, the lab technicians are government employees, and government pays the bill. Ninety-eight percent of the people in Britain never get a doctor bill in their whole life. And when I was there, they said to me, you Americans, you're always paying doctor bills. Why would you want to do that? (laughs) Yeah, well, uh, uh, but but I, I need to point out it's not free. They do pay for health care. There's no free health care. Yeah. They pay for it through taxes and taxes are high. The sales tax on everything you buy in Britain is 20% yeah. that pays for this healthcare care system. But it turns out to be a very efficient and cost efficient way to run healthcare. care. The Brits cover, uh, about 62 million Brits, maybe 15 million alien workers. Um, they have better life expectancy, better health outcomes in the U.S., and they spend about 44% as much per capita as we do and cover everybody. So they're getting more and spending less, but it's a government system. In fact, when people complain about socialized medicine, I would say, yeah, the British system where government provides the care and government pays for the care, that sounds like socialized medicine to me. So that's one approach. And you know what? It works, and therefore it's been in a lot of countries. Spain, Italy, all of Scandinavia, New Zealand, uh, Cuba is a famous <laughs> example of, uh, of that kind of the British model socialized medicine. But I don't want you to go away thinking the only way to cover everybody is some big government nanny state program, because if we jump across to the mainland of Europe, um, in Germany, we find the mirror image of the British system. Germany covers everybody with private insurance, private doctors, private hospitals, private labs. Uh, Germany has much less government involvement than the US. We have, when Americans turn 65, everybody goes on a government insurance plan, Medicare. In Germany, they stay with private insurance, cradle to grave. We have Medicaid, that's a government insurance plan for poor people. In Germany, poor people are on private insurance and the government subsidizes the premium. So that's a more private system than we have, private insurance paying private doctors, and that system works too. Germany covers about 87 million people, much better health statistics than the U.S. They spend about 62% as much per capita as we do. So in capitalist countries that don't want big government, a lot of them have copied this. So it's used in Switzerland, Netherlands, Belgium, sort of, and to a degree, in France um, and Japan. Japan just copied the German private system whole, whole hog. They cover everybody. They spend much less and have better outcomes. So, so, I, so Britain, I told you, that's that's largely a government. That is a government system. Uh, this German model is private. It's more private than the U.S. And then another approach is kind of a marriage of the two where the insurance plan, the payment plan that pays the bills, is a government plan, and the doctors, hospitals, labs are private. And that is called national health insurance. By That's what the economists call it. That was devised in Canada in the 1940s. Um, and it works pretty well. Uh, it doesn't work that well in Canada, incidentally. I mean, have you heard about these long waiting times in Canada? <laughs>
1: um,
0: I, th- I think it's true. I mean, the Canadians just don't spend much on health care, and therefore the system isn't working too well there. But it's been used. It- it's used in South Korea. It's used in Brazil. It's used in Australia. This is a system that works pretty well, as a matter of fact. Canadian, The Canadian model, that is government insurance paying private doctors, works so well that when we decided to give health insurance to our seniors, uh, we created a system, Medicare, which is the Canadian model of health care. It's government insurance playing private providers. So uh, I've just given you three basic models. One, the government does everything. Two, everything, both the provider and the payer is private. And then the Canadian Medicare model, the providers are private, the hospitals are private, but the insurance is public. And then the fourth model, which is the most common in the world, is no health insurance, no health plan. Uh, for the poor countries in the world, where you know per capita income is like $2 a day, $700 a year, in those countries, just food and clothing and shelter are tough enough. Healthcare is a luxury. In, you know, in African countries, most of India, a lot of South Asia, uh, rich people get health care in those countries and the rest of the people either stay sick or die. So those are the kind of the four models in the rich countries where they cover everybody. They do it in one of the first three. And, you know, Nick, the interesting thing I found when I did this book is, uh, I went around the world for about two years looking at these plans to figure out how they worked. I made a movie about it for PBS, and they sent me back around the world, pretty good deal, to to uh, see the same docs and everything, make a movie. And what's please the, don't what's tell... The,
1: what's the documentary called?
0: It's called uh, Sick Around the World. It's a terrible title. It's a pretty good movie. It won okay. a lot of awards. Sick Around the World. It's on PBS.org. You can okay. stream it. You can find it Sometimes,
2: online. Sometimes, every
0: once in a while, It's on Netflix. Um, here's the thing. I don't want you telling the accountants at TBS this, but guess what? I could have seen all the different models of healthcare and never left home because right here in the United States, the world's richest country, we've got them all. We've got them all. If you're a military veteran like me or active duty military, well, those people live in England. healthcare purposes. The hospitals are owned by the VA, the doctors work for the government, and you don't get a bill. That's the British model of healthcare. There are about 19 million Americans on that model. If you're sharing the cost of private insurance with your employer, private health insurance, that's the German model of healthcare, about 160 million Americans on that model. If you're a senior on Medicare using government insurance to pay private doctors, as I said, that's the Canadian model. And if you're one of the 31 or 32 million Americans with no health insurance, you know, they live in Afghanistan or Angola for (laughs) health care purposes. Uh, And we've got them all here in the United States. And that's a fundamental reason, Nick, why we pay more, because our system is so complicated and fragmented and, and you know, works at cross-purposes The other countries all do better because they all agreed that everybody ought to be covered and everybody ought to be covered in a single model. And if you do that, then you can get good health care at decent prices. And T.R.,
2: why do you think we as Americans struggle to get to the same conclusion, that everyone should have health care?
0: Yeah, I go back and forth on that. In fact, in my book... Uh, At the beginning, I say, we've made this choice. We've decided we don't want to provide health care for everybody. And at the end of the same book, I say, well, if Americans only knew how cruel our system was, we'd fix it. I think a lot of Americans don't know. I go around the country giving talks, and I say, you know, uh, there are 32 million people with no health insurance, according to the National Academy of Sciences about uh 22,000 Americans die every year of treatable diseases because they couldn't afford to see a doctor. This is true. And people say, "No, no, no, that we wouldn't do that. That that couldn't happen. That won't happen here." Yeah, it happens in the United States every day, but yeah. Americans don't believe it. We we wouldn't be that dumb. We wouldn't be that cruel, but we are. So I think it's partly because we have this complicated system that just developed and Americans don't know how cruel it is. Hmm. And the other thing is we believe very strongly that the private sector, the private markets are the best way to do almost everything. And as it turns out in paying for healthcare, paying for healthcare is an area where governments do better. If you look at these systems with government payment plans, they're all much more efficient than the U.S. system with these, with multi-payers and the insurance companies. Our private insurance companies have the highest administrative costs in the world. So we think, oh, gee, we we want the private sector to do stuff. And I, I agree with this. I mean, I don't want the Private sector. I don't want the government designing my cell phone. You know, I think uh, Apple's doing a pretty good job on that. But um, uh, it turns out in healthcare finance, government systems are are significantly more efficient. So it's hard for Americans to face up to that, except those Americans who are on Medicare. That's a government insurance plan. And Americans on Medicare, by a huge margins, 70, 75% say it's the best insurance they ever had. Um, you may remember um, two, three years ago, the Republicans in Congress were talking about replacing Medicare with private insurance for seniors. And that plan lasted about two months. And all the senior groups said, no way, no way, we're sticking with Medicare. So um, it we tend to think the private sector is going to do a better job in many areas it does but in terms of high healthcare finance it's been proven around the world these government systems are more efficient
1: yeah so uh, can, what i mean so i uh, in my role as a entrepreneur uh did a stint trying to uh, build a business that sought to basically disintermediate health health insurance companies mm-hmm. from yeah. the 90% yeah. of healthcare transactions that aren't uh, that aren't um, you know traumatic right catastrophic yes, right. yeah 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 and eventually you know we could we couldn't get the business to scale because the insurance business the insurance industry just had a stranglehold on the you know they have a stranglehold on the healthcare system and there was just no way to do it least we couldn't but it certainly taught me a lot about how the system works and uh, yeah but which by the way is how i how i ended up reading your book and what struck me about our system is it's basically the world's largest price fixing scheme
0: yeah that, that, that's a very good way to describe it yeah. yeah
1: you know like if we bought a blood test through an insurance company that blood test might cost a hundred dollars. But if we paid cash money, it was $12. Yeah. Uh, colonoscopy in one place cost $5,000. The same procedures another place would cost $600. It's just It was just incredible how much craziness there is in our system.
0: And one of the smartest investments the insurance businesses companies have made is they bought congressmen. They have right. enormous clout in the U.S. Congress and every state legislature. I'll give you an example. When Obamacare was being debated, the original plan of the bill tried to cut the administrative costs that insurance companies can add to every doctor bill. And their lobbyists went in and wrote into the law that they can add 20% administrative costs to every doctor bill. They wrote that into the law. And that's one of the key reasons we're the most expensive. You know, I told you Germany has private insurance, their private insurance companies have administrative costs of 5.5%. That's the most they're allowed. Our guys have four times as high costs, and yet the CEOs of our insurance companies make 50 times what the Germans make. So they can get away with that because they have political clout in every
1: legislature. So, so said another way, of the $10,200 that Americans are spending on Uh, health insurance per year per citizen, an additional $1,500 simply goes to the bottom lines of private insurance companies, uh, above and beyond what the German companies would would charge. It's 15%. Yeah,
0: exactly. Well, I mean, if you take Medicare, which is a government insurance plan run by government bureaucrats, their administrative costs are 2.8% so you could you could pay for health insurance much more efficiently than our private insurers do and since they have the legal right which they wrote into the bill to charge 20 per, to add 20% to every bill for their costs they really don't have much interest in keeping bills down right if the bill goes up they get more so the, the, if the you know the whole incentive structure of american health insurance is upside down Which is, you know, as you pointed out, a key reason why we pay more.
1: Yeah. The bigger aha for me when, you know, in working on this problem was that if you're a private insurer, you have a massive economic incentive to try to turn molehills into mountains. In other words, <laughs> yeah. why, why in the world would you want to send somebody to a primary care doctor to burn a ward off for $0.50 cents when you can send them to a specialist and charge $2,000? Because if your VIG is 20% on whatever it is, the bigger the better.
0: Yes. In addition to that, they cut deals. You know, they have their own networks, and they cut deals with those particular doctors for special rates. And then this really bugs me, the insurance companies dictate which doctors you can see. They call this narrow networks. There's no country in the world that has narrow networks and all the other countries, people, patients get to choose the doctor. In America, your insurance company tells you what doctor you can see.
1: Yeah, it's totally nuts. So, so if it was you, what what would you what, what do you think we should do as a nation?
0: Well, when I started on this work, as I said, I went to Germany, I saw everybody is in private insurance, you split the cost of insurance with your provide, with your employer, the docs are private, the hospitals are private. I thought, boy, that's the way to go. Let's get everybody covered in a German-style system. And I've now decided it won't work in the United States. And the reason is, I think, the private insurers just have too much power and they won't accept the kind of rules that German insurance companies live with. For example, in Germany, they're not allowed to dictate a network of doctors. You can go to any doctor, any hospital, any lab in the whole country, and insurance has to pay. Uh, They're not allowed to deny claims. About 30% of medical claims in in America are denied, at least the first time. Uh, In Germany, if the doctor certifies the claim they have to pay, and get this, in Germany the insurance company has to pay both the doctor and the patient within 3 days. Anybody in America wow. has that deal nobody has that deal. And our insurers don't want to do that, you know, they make a lot of money. They they take 40 to 60 days to pay a bill. Oh. They make money on the float and therefore and they have the wow. political clout to resist. So I don't think putting everybody on private insurance will work in the United States. I used to, but I don't think it will now. So I think we're most likely going to end up with some kind of government-run plan, uh, which covers just about everybody. And there are various ways you could do this. One way is sort of vertically. You could expand Medicare downward, expand Medicare to 60 and then 55 and then 50. And, you know, I think we might get that past the insurance industry because, Those companies make good money selling supplemental insurance on basic Medicare. Um, Another way to do it would be what some people call expand horizontally, that is uh, take the uh, government programs that exist already, uh, the TRICARE for military members, the VA, Indian Health Service, and expand them out to cover police, teachers, etc. and then cover everybody. What I'm saying is gradually expand the existing government programs to cover more people, I think is the most likely way we're going to do it. I've noticed several of the democratic candidates have proposed a kind of buy in where people can buy into Medicare at any age without waiting till they're 65. Um, I think that system would work. Most people are not terribly satisfied with the private insurance they have now. And, uh, uh, Medicare would be cheaper and would give you a broader choice of doctors. So I think maybe the the public option or the buy in to some government program may be the course we take. And the insurance companies hate that idea because they know they can't compete with the government plan.
1: Right.
2: So wouldn't it be wouldn't it be better for business, American businesses, if we had a universal model or expanded Medicare for all, like to take the burden of trying to provide, provide employer-provided health care, wouldn't that make us more competitive with nations who have that?
0: Yes. Many businesses and large business organizations say that. And the reason is in October and November, when they go to their health insurance provider for the coverage for their employees, they, they don't know. It's one of their biggest costs and they don't know what it's going to cost next year. Right. Over the last six years or so, Uh, health insurance premiums have gone up about five times the rate of inflation every year. Um, and, And companies get stuck with that. And so here's what they do. They pay a little more. They stick their employees with a higher deductible or a higher share of the premium. Nobody's happy with this. And I keep asking chambers of commerce, why do you want to do this? Why do you want to do this? And I think, uh, a reason is in most chambers of commerce, the local insurance industry is a very powerful voice, and uh, therefore they've been fighting it. But many employer groups that have looked at this have said, yeah, let's get out of paying for health insurance and let somebody else take this over. Like, for example, maybe the government.
2: Right. And wouldn't it be better yeah. for business if people were healthier also?
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. You don't lose your employees to sick leave. Um, your employees aren't yeah, exactly right. It would be better to have a healthy workforce and you knew that your employees and their families could get reliable care at a decent price. It'd be much better for an employer. They'd they'd rather not worry about this. Um, Plus for the employee, um, if we went to a government health insurance system, it would almost certainly be cheaper than private insurance. And therefore, that money that your employer's paying for the premium, presumably, would now go into your salary. By many right. estimates, right. Uh, salaries would go up between 10 and 15% for everybody if uh, employers didn't have to pay the health insurance premium. But here's the thing. Medicare for it only covers people over sixty-five. Yeah, and so it has to It has to cost a so it's lot. It's expensive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're covering. It's it's yeah. like if you sold auto insurance only to the blind. Right. You know, you're you, you have the <laughs> most expensive pool, and this is one of the only reasons young men. why. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. Teenage boys. It, why? Yeah. Teenage <laughs> boys is exactly right. This is one of the reasons why expanding Medicare right. to younger populations would be great. If we had a bunch of 28 year olds paying the monthly premium and not going to the doctor, Medicare would be would be fighted, be sustainable operation. So, you know, that's why auto insurance works, because most people pay the premium and don't have recs. Yeah. And that's what right. Medicare needs to
1: Interesting. Interesting. So are you do you substantially agree with the sort of Medicare for all or Medicare for uh, whoever wants it uh, sort of policy prescriptions that are that are emerging?
0: Yeah, I think I think that's where we're going to end up. I don't think uh, I'll tell you a few things about it. The opponents of Medicare for all say, well, this would be the end of private insurance. No, as I said, the insurance companies, they all sell Medicare supplement plans, and they make good money on it, and that'd be fine. Medicare can provide a basic floor of coverage for everybody, and then if you need more, if you need Botox, if you need breast enlargement, hair replacement, there are a lot of things that health insurance uh, could still, private insurance could pay for. So we could still have private insurance. You've heard the argument, oh, God, Medicare for all, it would bust the bank, it's too expensive. Uh, one famous estimate done at George Madison University uh, said that it would cost $32 trillion over 10 years. That's kind of a staggering number, right? Well, this year, we're paying $3.4 trillion for health care. That's $34 trillion yeah, right. over 10 years. Yeah. It's more. We're paying more now than we would pay for uh, Medicare for all. Taxes would go up, and your health insurance premium would go down more than your tax bill went up. So, um, I think, and, and because when people realize this, they'll see it. People don't like big government. Americans don't like the idea of the government getting between me and my doctor. Uh, and the answer to that is, well, at the moment, the insurance agent is between yeah. you and your doctor. Every doctor in America has a story. About calling Minnetonka, Minnesota, that's United Healthcare, to argue for why they won't cover such and such a procedure that's needed. So yeah. somebody is going to be there, and I think I'd rather have the government that I can control rather than the board of some health insurance company in Minnesota.
1: Yeah. Do you think that uh, there's hope for state based plans to lead the way in disrupting these old models?
0: Well, I thought so. Uh, if you look at American history, a lot of really important ideas in our history have started yeah. in, in one state. I mean, Yeah, female <laughs> suffrage, uh, minimum wage, Everything. child labor, yeah, yeah uh, interracial marriage. Marijuana, yeah. of course, started in my state of Colorado. I always say we're the highest state in the country in more ways than one. <laughs> yeah. And um, so that is a good way. And as a matter of fact... In 2016, we in Colorado put a measure on the ballot to create a state-run uh, health insurance plan to cover everybody, uh, and there were two problems. One is they made Tre the chairman of the campaign, which was a terrible idea politically, and the second was the insurance companies ganged up on us. They spent $8 million to defeat us, and so we lost. Um, I think this could be done if eight or 10 states set out to do it in the same year, uh, and that would dissipate the insurance company's money and some states would get it done, in which case the other states would see that it works just like gay marriage and female suffrage and they'd adopt it too. So I think state by state may be the way, but we may not have to do it that way because the Democrats in 2020 are definitely gonna run on some form of universal health care. And if they win, you know, maybe that'll be the lever to get us moving.
1: Yeah. So in Washington state, we did, we did pass, uh, this year, uh, a public option.
0: I saw that. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah.
1: And so this, be, this may be, maybe may be the beginnings of a, of an experiment that, uh, can prove some of the, you know, get, that can prove to people that there's a better way than being, jacked around by private insurance companies, uh, for the rest yeah, of the Yeah. I lives. think you make it yeah. work. And
0: then, or if Washington does it, Oregon will have to do it. they never right. let you beat them. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> um, and then we'll do it too. Uh, I, here's what I say. I say, I'm pretty sure whoever is the democratic nominee for president in 2020 will come out for, oh, for sure some kind of health care for all. And if the Democrat arguing for Medicare for all is ahead by 20 points in July, then Donald Trump will come out for Medicare for all. I don't think there's any question about it. So uh, there's a good chance we're going to get there in the next few elections. Yeah, cool.
2: I appreciate that you yeah. seem to really think the way we do, T.R., <laughs> <laughs> my fellow travelers.
0: <laughs> well, I have this radical notion that if one of my neighbors is sick or living in pain, we ought to provide them health care in yeah. the world's richest country. you got to be a nut. Communist. That,
1: but... You're a communist.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's that... what I believe.
2: Is that why you started doing this research and this kind of analysis? Why why do you do this work in the healthcare space in particular?
0: You know, I was a foreign correspondent. You know, I worked for the Washington Post. I worked around the world. And um, our family of six Americans was living in Tokyo. And, uh, you know, we were Americans. We know America does everything best. So we were kind of scared taking our kids to a foreign doctor. But, you know, one of my daughters gets earaches all the time. My son broke his clavicle. We had to go to the doctor. And here's what I found in Japan initially and then in the other rich countries. uh, The facilities were fine. We didn't have to wait very long. The care was just as good in the United States, absolutely American standard. And the bills were minute. The bills were one-tenth or one-twentieth what you would pay. In fact, when we lived in Tokyo, Quite often, I didn't bother to send the medical bill back to the insurance company in Washington because the postage was more than the medical bill. So that's how I got started. How can I provide excellent care in good facilities to everybody at these low prices? And so I went around the world and wrote this book, The Healing of America. That's really, I get started from our own experience. And... uh, And in the course of it, I discovered the most important thing, which is the first thing I told you, is a country has to commit to cover everybody. And if you make that moral commitment, doggone it, if somebody's sick, we're going to get them care, then you can come up with a system to achieve it.
1: Yeah. And I think I think what the experience of all these other countries shows is that once you make that commitment to a system that will do that, the scale economies and the efficiencies follow. And you end up with a system exactly but exactly
0: right. That's a very good way to that's put right. it yes.
1: That the the commitment to addressing everybody's problems uh, forces you to organize a system which is both fairer but also more effective and efficient. And I think that's, you know, that's where we have to get if we're going to get our economy back on track and make people feel like the system works for them.
0: Boy, Nick, i tip my hat to you. That's a very good way to put it. It's exactly right.
1: Yeah. So we're excited to talk to you also for a few minutes about your new book on taxes. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: We have the most complicated, most inefficient, and a highly unfair tax code in the United States, and other countries do it better. So I did it again. I went around the world and uh, looked at, at tax codes around the world to see if we could have a fairer simpler and more efficient code? And the answer is yes. Many countries have done it better than we have. I'll just give you one example. Just filling out the form. According to the IRS, an average family at the median income of about $59,000 spends 18 to 20 hours gathering the data and filling out the forms. The average price for a person with median income is about uh, $260 to have your tax return done. Um, In the Netherlands, same process, takes about 15 minutes and zero dollars. In Britain uh, and Japan, it takes one minute because in those countries, the government fills out the form for you. They know all the numbers and they send you a completed form. If you don't like it, you can reject it and fill out your own. If it looks right and it's always right, you click a button and you're done. And uh, when I was doing this book, I was with my reporter in Japan, Togo, as a reporter I hire in Japan. And and I said, "Chiga, uh, I want to see you file your tax return. And he says, what do you mean file my tax return? I get this postcard from the IRS and it says, here's what you owe. And they're always right. And I said, oh, gee, that's funny. You know, in America, people have to keep shoeboxes full of documents and spend hours filling out forms. And Togo says to me, well, why would anybody want to do that?
2: <laughs> right?
0: Exactly. So what I found was there, there are many ways that we could improve our tax code. And um, many countries have found ways to do this in a more intelligent way. And um, we could learn from them.
1: I love it. I love it.
0: Yeah. Anyway, I threw every tax joke I ever heard into this book. Oh, good. To, try to you know, alleviate the pain.
1: Not easy. <laughs>
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. Well, this has been so, perfect and fascinating. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. For
0: having Take me. On. Yeah. Bye. Sure. Bye.
2: So I loved our conversation with TR. I really feel like I got a good overview of the different models that exist out there and what he thinks is possible here in the US. Um, but you had a recent experience. Uh, with international healthcare systems. I did, I did.
1: did. We had this crazy thing. So I was in London uh, with my family and we had this really interesting experience, which is that my wife and I um, were going to bed in our hotel room and at 12.30 uh, a.m. in the night, uh, our daughter knocked on the door and said that we had to come to the door, and we came there, and she was holding her hand and a puddle of blood in in her um, in her palm, and she and her buddy uh, had been out and about. Uh, probably should have been in bed, but they had been out and about, and she had fallen and cut her hand uh, really quite badly. Her the palm of her hand on some glass, and so we called the hotel, and the little medic dude came up and said, uh, "You need to go to the hospital." So, <laughs> so it. 1245 or whatever it was in the evening, uh, my daughter and I got in a cab and off we went to a local hospital and uh, to the to the emergency room. And our timing was horrible because it was. I don't know what night it was, but the waiting room was packed.
2: But there were several other people who had maybe gotten yeah, too much yeah, trouble. Yeah, exactly. It
1: was packed. Um, but um, uh, we went up to the window and we filled out a very short form that, um, you know, our name, our address, a phone number, where we were staying... Um, but notably, no credit card information, no health card number information, nothing else. It was a very simple form. Uh, and 30 minutes later, uh, we went in to see a triage nurse who took a look at uh, uh, my daughter's uh, hand and uh, wrote up something and said we would had to wait. And then we did wait, indeed. We, we waited for another four hours or something like that as the rest of the people... In the rating room, um, uh, uh, was probably
2: more serious. Yeah, some of them, but they
1: were—they may not have been more serious, but they definitely. My uh, my daughter was not in any grave danger, uh, and um, everybody else had gotten there before us. It was really annoying that almost no one came in after us, but (laughs) everyone was in bed. But um, but uh, at about five in the morning. Uh, it was finally our turn. Uh, they took uh, her away. They x-rayed her to make sure there was no glass in the cut. Um, she came back. Then we um, went in to see this very nice doctor who took a look and cleaned it out again and made sure it was okay. And then um, glued uh, glued the wound shut and gave us some bandages and gave us some more bandages and uh, thanks us thanked us uh, and. Um, shook our hands. And then I was like, okay, so where where do we pay? She's like, no, 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 you don't, you don't have to pay. And I'm like, well, wh- where's the paperwork? I mean, isn't there something I sign? And she's like, no. And that was the most shocking thing about it. I mean, it, the thing is, is that, I mean, not only didn't we pay for anything and we're foreigners, right? You would have thought they'd been right. asked for something. Uh,
2: Happy to gouge you for extra tourism something. dollars. Something, yeah, exactly. <laughs> something,
1: some amount of money. And, and, but it wasn't just that they didn't want money; it was that that interaction with their healthcare system didn't generate any paperwork. There was no, there was no bureaucracy that got right. involved as a consequence of my daughter's cut on her hand. Right. It was just like, hey, you came in. Uh, we knew how old your daughter was and we knew that she didn't have any other health problems and we kind of got a phone number but i think we're good now and we'll see on down the road and that was it and you just the shocking simplicity of it was really arresting and it and it it explains why their health care outcomes are better than ours right because if you wanted to take money and if you wanted to track it in an insurance system the amount of paperwork and computers and people and crap that it would take to do that would have been 10x what it actually cost to just take care of the problem. Yeah. And that's, you know, it was a really, um, it was a really vivid example of why our healthcare system is so screwed up. and. Right why we need to reform it so but you
2: also didn't have to deal with any of the bureaucracy or concerns of insurance on the front end right like no. many people call the hospital oh my god in advance to make sure it's yes. within their network and the doctors that are providing the yes. care are ones that their insurance will cover all this
1: bullshit
2: um or that the potential expense is one that they're willing exactly.
1: to exactly all on. this bullshit makes the actual doctoring which is yep. quite simple and cheap really expensive and if you just got rid of it all and just kind of just took care of people, you know, healthcare costs would go down dramatically. And I think that it, it just, it is, it was a shocking uh, and vivid example of how you can just do it better.
2: Right. Well, that's a super interesting story. And it was great to hear from TR's personal yeah. experience to all the yeah. international yeah, the same, travel he's Same kinds of experiences, done. yeah. Yeah. Um, investigating this issue and it'll be exciting on our next episode on part two to talk more in depth with nina turner who's the co-chair of bernie sanders presidential campaign and we're going to talk exclusively about medicare for all pitchfork economics is produced by civic ventures the magic happens in seattle in partnership with large media that's larj media and the young turks network Find us on Twitter and Facebook at Civic Action. Follow our writing on Medium at Civic Skunk Works and peek behind the podcast scenes on Instagram at Pitchfork Economics. And one more, you should definitely follow Nick on Twitter at Nick Hanauer. As always, a big thank you to our guests and thanks to you for listening from our team at Civic Ventures. Nick Hanauer, Zach Silk, Jasmine Weaver, Jessen Farrell, Stephanie Irvin, David Goldstein, Paul Constant, Stephen Paulini, and Annie Fabley. See you next week.